Welcome to this week's episode of Compound Your Knowledge. I have Dr. Jack Vogel here with me to discuss three posts from our blog this week. Uh, the first one is on trend following. We have one examining if active management is skilled or is it just luck? And the last one takes a look at price to book as a valuation measure. The first post we'll cover was written, written by Wes and it's titled, Trend Following the Epitome of No Pain, No Gain. Jack, what was the setup on the data and the analysis? Yeah, so in this article, uh, it was again just examination of the returns and how trend following strategies worked over the long run. One thing that's you know a slight addition in this paper relative to other posts we've had is we have it on different countries. So we have like Australia, France, Germany, also going a little bit further back in time, all the way to 1927 on all these markets. Yeah, and that's good, right? Because that's one of the things you want to look for to determine if a back test is is good, you want more robust and pervasive results. So by mm -hmm. looking at different countries, we're getting a, you know, a, a, a better feel for it at least, hopefully. Um, so th this paper was broken into three parts. Uh, number one was analyzing each country's stock markets with the trend rules applied. The second part is why is trend following challenging? And the third part is analyzing the whipsaws. In part one, we went through Australia, Brussels, Canada, France, Germany, Japan, the US and the UK. And we looked at the summary uh, data on their stock market returns with and without trend following rules. So we won't go through every country. You can go to the paper to look at the individual country results. But Jack, what's the high level summary and what were some of the more interesting results on the individual countries? Yeah, so high level, uh, the takeaway is just you know over that time period, 1927 till about today, uh, what you see is trend following compared to buy and hold in almost every country have similar compound annual return, compound annual growth rates, right, mm -hmm. CAGRs. Um, and in most cases, the drawdowns or max drawdown within each country is cut in half or a third, yeah. right? So big reduction in overall drawdown Right, which is one of the main reasons people would like trend following is mm -hmm. one way to attempt to invest in an asset class but reduce left tail type events. Uh, one interesting data point I said in most cases that the drawdown is cut in half happens to be um, you know Germany, right? So like you know World War Two there was you know ninety five plus percent drawdown yeah. and trend following you know it happened instantaneously so long term trend doesn't help you as much there. Yeah. Um, but on average the big takeaway was. Similar returns, lower drawdowns. Right. Hence why people like trend following. Yeah, and Japan had a similar drawdown so as, as Germany. So that's, those are the things you can't help. If your country loses World War II, uh, you could have some issues in your stock market. Um, so that all sounds pretty good, right? It's like, oh, well, let's definitely do trend following. We get half the amount and the worst drawdowns. We take a little bit of a uh, hits along the way, but in part two of the post, we showed why trend following is challenging. Mm -hmm. So what was shown here? Yeah, so what was shown here was just kind of, you know, if, if anyone ever has ever become interested in trend following, you look at the summary stats, which we described above, and you're like, oh, this, this seems great, right? I'm going to get similar returns, but I'm going to have lower drawdowns, yep. right? And obviously, you know, past is not indicative of the future. But 
everyone, you start out with that thesis, right? But then what you see is, you know, over five-year periods or over periods of time, trend following can actually drag relative to the market. So what we showed in the second section was the five-year, you know, compound annual growth rate difference between trend following and buy and hold. And what you see is you have multiple instances where you have like a negative 15%, i.e. meaning that trend following underperformed buy and hold by like 15% annualized yeah. over five years. Yeah. And if that's you compound terrible. that, that's like 100%, yeah. right? So uh, that section just highlighted that fact, that yeah. you can underperform buy and hold if you use trend following. And that that'll hurt if, if the the stock market's at 200 and you're at 100 because you lagged by 100 percent over five years that uh that would be near impossible to stick with in, in the real world um okay so then the last section is of the paper is titled oh but it gets worse so how does it get worse for us jack yeah, I mean, so I don't know if it gets any worse than losing by 100% over a five-year period. But uh, what we highlighted in the third section was the fact that, you know, everyone, if you have ever missed in trend following, you know, you hate the so-called whipsaws, yeah. right? And a whipsaw is whereby, you know, trends start going negative, so you get out, and then it rebounds quickly. So for most trend-following systems, they probably got out near the, you know, depending on when you assess it, near <clears throat> mid or end of December 2018, when yep. the market went down. And then, so you get out, and then the market goes up, yep. you know? So that's a so-called whipsaw event. So what we did is we looked at, what's the percentage of the time that you have a whipsaw, right? And on average, it's about like one to two times per year. So yep. if you're doing trend following on any of these things, it's about one to two times you're getting a whipsaw a year. Yep. And then the second thing is kind of like, what's your batting average? So given that a trend event happens, like how often do you win? And the crazy thing is uh, almost across the board, it's about 75 to 80% of the time is you lose using a trend following system, yep. right? And then in the US market, it's actually 90% of the time you lose, yeah. right? So that's like you're in baseball, like you're 100 hitter, right? Yep. And you know maybe and you know the whole benefit though is it's a hundred hitter because, you know, they might hit home runs the one out of ten times that they hit a hit a home run and that's actually why the returns are similar because trend when it does work saves you from these big drawdowns. Right. So and it, yeah, it's not intuitive when I before I saw the numbers I would have guessed it was. 50-50 shot, 50% of the time you win, 50% of the time you lose once you put the hedge on. But it makes more sense after thinking about it in that trend following is a form of insurance. So you're gonna pay a small, you know, smaller relatively amount of money, hopefully along the way to protect yourself for the big loss, right? So the whipsaws are your insurance payment. Yeah. Um, so that's an interesting over overview of trend following you guys can check the rest of it out uh, on our website the second paper we have this week is from friend of the firm Andrew Miller his post is titled large cap price to book investing what is dead may never die Andrew starts the post with in the great book and series Game of Thrones the inhabitants of the Iron Islands have a saying what is dead may never die which is to be replied with but rises again harder and stronger. 
I am reminded of this saying as more and more market commentators and practitioners declare that value investing is dead and cite its terrible performance over the last 10 years and even longer for some versions as proof. So this is a great paper to go learn some of the basics on value investing. We'll start with some of the basics as Andrew does in the paper. In academic terms, Jack, what is value and HML? Yeah, so uh, what HML is, and what Andrew tries to explain here is, you know, the formation of it is important. So HML is if you take all the universe of all stocks, pretend we have 3,000 stocks, for example's sake, right? HML is formed by doing the following. You split the universe, so you have your 1,500 largest, 1,500 smallest, right? There's Technically, it's the median NICE market cap cut, so it's actually, you know, slightly higher. It might be like 800, 2200, mm -hmm. right? But for example's sake, let's say it's 1500, okay? In academia, though, it is the 50th median, so it's actually less firms at the top. And then what you do is within the top and bottle large and small cap firms, you pick the top third on value or growth used as measured by book to market. And so HML is formed by looking at large value minus large growth, you get that return series. Mm -hmm. And then you average that with large, or sorry, small value minus small growth. That's how HML is formed in academic terms. Gotcha. So then according to the Andrew's paper, why is HML problematic and, and what's the overall summary on the rest of the paper? Yeah, so it's problematic in that, and this is shown in one of the AQR papers, in your like large, so I just mentioned how HML is a composition of large and small, value minus growth and large, value minus growth and small. And what you actually find is over like larger long sample periods, the HML in just the large caps is actually insignificant, mm. right? Whereas in small caps, it's significant. So when you average the two, the combination becomes significant. Yep. So his whole thing is just highlighting, hey, if you just use book to market, and you're just looking at large cap firms, you should expect almost ex ante, given the long-term evidence, to see no significant outperformance, yeah. right? So then he goes to highlight, uh, you know, he works through book to market, but then also shows, hey, well, what if you use PE? Or, you know, enterprise multiples, we're fans of that. But he shows with PE, within large caps, it does work, right? So one of the, one of the highlights and takeaway is, you know, the way you form it can have impacts and, you should be uh, aware of how portfolios themselves are actually formed. Gotcha. Okay. What is dead may never die. We'll see if uh, value comes back. The last paper we have this week is from Larry Swedro titled, Is Active Management Skilled? If so, who benefits? Larry starts it off by comparing finding active managers that outperform after you found them is the equivalent of finding the holy grail. Larry first explains a research paper from Jonathan Burke. What did Burke's research show, Jack? Yeah, so in like the first paper, Burke was, and again, this is specific to active managers. We're not talking about any like systematic strategy here. This is examining active managers. Yep. And what he highlighted in the first paper was just a, a fact, yep. which is that, you know, let's say there is this great active manager, yep. right? And they're the best manager in the world. Well, what's gonna happen? People are going to keep giving them money until their expected returns become the same as manager two. So now one and two are the two best managers. Sure. People should, in theory, give them money until their, man their uh, returns become the sum as manager three. Mm -hmm. So 
that was what that first Burke paper was trying to highlight is that just that effect that will happen in the real world. Right. But is that the fat wallet problem, essentially? Yeah, you're just going to have to bring down and change your strategy when you get more money. Yeah, right. Um, so then Burke in 2015 took another look at the issue in their study, measuring skill in the mutual fund industry. What did that further research show? So what that paper found is it kind of validated the, the earlier paper. And basically it found that firms and funds that did the best received the most amount of money yep. in the future, right? It's basically kind of validating the hypothesis that was proposed earlier. And then the secondary effect is that, you know, the net, so then who wins, right? Because that was kind of what you're saying, like who wins? The, the net alpha to these managers is like a, a negative one bip, but insignificant, yep. right? So the inv end investor doesn't end up winning when allocating to these active managers, it's really probably just managers receiving higher fees. Gotcha. Um, yeah, because all the assets rush in and you've kind of lost your edge. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, any other takeaways on that? No, it's just a good paper highlighting, you know, uh, and Larry goes to talk on to uh, his book, Incredible Shrinking Alpha, how, you know, as more people, even as people like leave the field, the competition gets tighter, yep. right? So the, the amount of alpha, paradoxically almost, kind of gets smaller, even though there might be like fewer people, because right. it's like relative skill that you're competing for potential alpha. Yeah. Um, so good paper by Larry, just highlighting active management can be difficult. Yeah, yeah. The Warren Buffett talks about it in the 1994 Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, paper um, with uh, with the fat wallet problem. So mm -hmm. that's it's a famous problem. So that's all we have for this week. Thanks for tuning in to watching Compound Your Knowledge, and we'll see you all next week. The views expressed in this recording are the personal views of the participants as of the date indicated and do not necessarily reflect the views of Alpha Architect itself. Nothing contained in this recording constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice and should not be viewed as a current or past recommendation or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The information in this recording is based on current market conditions which will fluctuate and may be superseded by subsequent market events or for other reasons. Alpha Architect does not resume any duty to update forward-looking statements. The information in this recording has been developed internally and or obtained from sources believed to be reliable. However, no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made or given by or on behalf of Alpha Architect as to the accuracy and completeness or fairness of the information contained in this recording. Any liability as a result of this recording, including direct, indirect, special, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. Copyright 2018, Alpha Architect LLC, all rights reserved.